I love camping too. I don't want to be left out of the mix here. Anybody else love camping? Anybody been out uh, tent camping? All right, fantastic. Way to, way to go, everybody. Uh, I uh, recently, um, I didn't grow up in a camp family. <clears throat> Some of you have already spotted that. I uh, recently got into camping just, a, uh, well, it was last summer. I took my son on a camping trip. I've told way too many stories about it. I think you all are bored with that. But uh, I, it introduced me to this whole world of camping. And um, I, this may not be a surprise to any of you, but the type of camping that I enjoy is uh, technically called glamping. You know, it's like, uh, it, it's, it comes with an REI membership and uh, way too much gear. And um, if I'm not French pressing coffee, it's a wasted camp trip. I don't French press coffee at home, but when I go camping, it's like my time. And I, I, um, I recently uh, achieved, achieved at REI the dream maker status of REI with my last purchase, which was... Um, an air mattress bed that is nicer than the actual bed that I sleep on. Anybody else relate with me? I'm like, you go camping and you're into camping because it's an excuse for you to get stuff that you otherwise don't need and is way too big, right? And all the wives are shaking their heads, elbowing husbands, and maybe your friends are looking at you going, that's you, man. Um, I realized, uh, I learned uh, recently that the type of camping that I enjoy is called car camping. And it's called car camping for a reason you load up your car full of junk, you drive it to your site, and you don't have to think twice about the stuff that you brought. Now, um, full disclosure, this is all my stuff, um, and this is what I bring car camping. But recently, I've learned that there's another type of camping. Um, it's a really, I, I don't do this type of camping. I want to do this type of camping. Actually, Grand, Grand Canyon next year is maybe on my bucket list, right? Uh, it's, it's called backpacking. And if, has anybody ever backpacked before? How am I doing so far? Am I doing okay? There are people here right now, especially in the first service, there's a, a friend of mine who, who actually is about to backpack for 17 days, 250 miles. And he looked at me and watched this whole entire sermon and said, I couldn't listen to anything you're saying. I just wanted to fix your pack. <laughs> because um, this is not how you backpack. This is actually all of my car camping gear assembled as if it were a backpacking adventure. Here's my tent. Okay, I can't get it. I can't get it still. Todd? Ah. Tent. Everybody say check. check. Sleeping bag? Check. Sleeping bag? Check. My pad and then my bag. Come on, guys, keep up. Ah, my favorite part of this pack is the hop you have to do to get everything situated. Um, this is my camp blanket. I know, I feel like I'm a four-year-old. But uh, this is the blanket that I use at camp because it's so nice and cozy and warm. Um, anybody think that I'm doing so far, so far so good on the, on the backpacking thing? Not so much, not so much. Uh, as we talk about um, this series uh, called Instructables, walking through the book of Proverbs. Let's see if I can make it up these stairs. Dear Lord. All right, two services down, made it. As we talk about instructables and the problems, how, how wise people build great lives, uh, one of the categories that Solomon has uh, told us is that uh, there's these two types of people in the world. There's wise people and there are foolish people, the wise and the fool. And we've, we've spent a lot of time over the past couple of weeks talking about how wise people seek out wisdom. They, they don't, um, they, they're not foolish with their money. They actually see how money has a positive and a, a negative side. Even wise people are going to guard the condition of their heart. But there's another, um, there's another type of person that Proverbs uh, indicates for us. And, and I, it's what I'm trying to illustrate for you today. It's not me being a fool, although certainly I'm making a fool of myself right now. 
actually it's this. Proverbs classifies people as being either humble or proud. What I want to submit to us all today is that the trail of life will reveal to you whether you are humble or whether you are proud. A humble person will actually look at themselves and say, I know who I am, I know how far I can go, I know what I need, and they will pack accordingly for life. But too many of us are proud. We're, we're, we're overpacking our bags in life. We imagine that we have the capacity to carry more than we actually can. We haven't done the work it takes to realize that there are specialty items to help us on our journey ahead. You know a proud person because they show up to a camping event looking like this. They, they have things in the wrong places. They're carrying way too much weight. They're the type of person who overpacks the dumb things for a camping trip. Not, a, not really dumb. I don't want to say it this way, but um, I've got books in here in case uh, you want to know what I read it on a, a camping trip. It's The Moral Vision of the New Testament by Richard Hayes. It's a great book. You should read this twice a year. Um, Angela uh, Martin uh, from the office wanted me to bring this one too. This is The Purpose Driven Life. Um, just some, some uh, books that I'd like to read around the campfire but taking up space in my, in my pack. And um, proud people think they can carry everything. And proud people uh, go through this life and they, they think to themselves, well, what harm is it if I take on too much? And today what Solomon is going to show us about pride and humility is that ironically proud people hurt themselves that almost all of the problems that you will inflict upon yourself come from one very core problem. It's the problem of pride. Eventually, the proud packer, the proud person who's backpacking with way too much stuff, will get worn down, not by other people, but by step after their own step along the long trail of life. I think this is a metaphor that Solomon could probably applaud or, or look at and, as he shared some wisdom with his kids. This is what Proverbs 3.34 says. He says um, that God mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. This is a really key verse in uh, all of uh, the Proverbs. In fact, it's so key, the New Testament uh, picks it up two separate times. James uh, quotes this verse and Peter quotes this verse. At both times, they, in their Greek version of it, say that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I think you and I have a lot to learn today as we think about pride and humility. Pride, pride is revealed on the trail of life. They um, help us see the character that we have in our lives and some of the adjustments we need to make to them. Pride and humility, it's a mega theme of the Bible. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if I could just maybe step away from the backpacking example for a moment. Pride and humility have been, I think, tricky categories for me to identify in my own life throughout the years. And here's what I mean. There are some things in life, like backpacking, which I have clearly never done, that I realize I would be a fool to start without some sort of guidance, without some sort of help. It's easy for me to be a humble backpacker because I know that I don't know. 
But there's all these other areas of my life where I've actually got degrees and things and I've got a lot of experience and things and, and I should be really, really, really like world class at some of these things. And it's hard for me, maybe it's hard for you to identify in yourself the way that your pride creeps up. When I've read that verse that God opposes the proud, that, that God mocks proud mockers but gives favor to the humble, I have oversimplified this in my own life. Maybe you have too. To ask myself this question, well, if everybody's prideful, if everybody has pride and everybody needs to grow in humility, then how much humility does it take to be a humble person and how much pride can I tolerate in my life and still be a humble person? And that is a wildly uh, nefarious goose chase for us all. If we think about these categories of pride and humility as what are the minimum, bare minimum requirements for me to be classified as a humble person, we will all be missing out on the ruthless tried and true, stated over and over again uh, lesson in the Bible that God wants us to be ruthlessly vigilant in attacking pride in our lives. And he wants us to expend maximum effort to gain humility. I'll say it this way. The, the, the two lessons that Solomon has for us today is that we would turn from selfish pride and that we would pursue selfless humility. I just want to take those two uh, topics and, and kind of walk them out for us through the, 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 the Proverbs together and show the two sides of this coin as it works out in our lives. Everybody with me today? Oh man, you guys are way more with me than the first service was. Thank you guys. Let's keep this going. First, uh, first reason that Solomon lays out for us to pay serious attention to our pride and live a humble life, it's, it's first. It's because pride cultivates my own foolishness. Pride cultivates my own foolishness. Here's a, a Proverbs, uh, I believe it's Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty, that just means an overinflated sense of self. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. I, I heard this um, time and time again in my family growing up. My mom would try and smack pride out of us, not physically, but uh, verbally, by saying, hey, pride goes before the fall, Dan. We can think about this in the, in the sense of Goliath standing before the Israelite army, declaring his victory before he's even fought. Proclaiming his success before it's ever happened. And of course, there's a, a way in which that we shouldn't uh, use our uh, success that hasn't been achieved or, or counting our eggs before they've hatched, as it were, that Solomon may have in mind. But I think there's something a little bit deeper going on here that Solomon has for us. He says this, that our failure is often tied to initial overestimation of my capacity or my resources. I want to say this a little bit more clearly. What Solomon has in view here, the pride that exists in my own heart that he's trying to point out to us, is this overestimation of what I can carry in my life. That if you and I don't accurately assess who we are and what we can do, we will become the fool who is proud, caring too much, and we won't have anyone to blame except ourselves. I've found in my life that almost every dumb idea I've ever done has come from one very specific place, here. My own initial 
poor assessment of who I am, my overestimation of you know, how much money I had or, or how much influence I had would actually be the things that would cause a downfall in my life. I was um, thinking about this this week because um, as I was scanning through Netflix, I noticed how many documentaries are about people who were proud with their money. They sunk it into a bad investment and they became ruined. I don't know what it says about me that these are my favorite documentaries to watch. Their pride told them that they were untouchable or that they felt invincible. And then reality came crashing down on them like a ton of bricks. For me, this week, as I was thinking about my resources and thinking about this message, I found myself looking at a calendar that had some blocks of time that had three or four events simultaneously scheduled. Now, it's not that I don't know how to use a calendar. I actually did it really well. Everything was on the calendar. It's not that I don't know what's important. I felt everything that was on the calendar was worthy of happening. But there was multiple moments this week where I realized that I had loaded too many events onto my back and I was trying to carry every single one of them. And so this week came and went and there was multiple events that didn't get picked up. Not because I didn't try, but because I couldn't. And to offer apologies to the people who I had double booked and to offer apologies to my kids for making them late to their things. Maybe you're not used to thinking about your time as a function of pride. But what does it say about us who live in this county, who are busy from place to place? You know, this is supposed to be the dog days of summer right now. And yet for many of us that I've talked to, we are busier today than we were last week. What does it say about us when we schedule our resource of time so tightly that we rush from place to place? It says to us, we think we can carry it. We've got it figured out. We can handle more than we can handle. Do you see how this works? My pride had led me into foolishness. I had to stop. I had to make some adjustments. On the contrary, look at what happens if we simply accurately assess ourselves with our humility. Uh, if, if pride cultivates our own foolishness, uh, humility protects me from foolishness. Having an accurate assessment of who I am protects me from acting badly. You know, sometimes we think that to be a proud person is to carry everything. So to be a humble person must mean I carry nothing. But actually, that's pride in the opposite direction. Self-deprecation is pride. You ever meet somebody who's trying to work on their pride? So they, in turn, start saying untrue negative things about themselves. They're taking off all the baggage and saying, well, if, if I don't want to be puffed up and conceited, then I've got to be self-deprecating and lowly. But that's not humility. Humility is having an accurate assessment of who you are. You are not so indispensable to the world that if you didn't do that thing, it wouldn't be okay. But you're also not so insignificant that if you weren't there, you wouldn't be missed. Listen, Solomon tells us that your life is important. How you live is important. We cannot make the mistake of making ourselves indispensable. We cannot make ourselves uh, the mistake of making ourselves irrelevant. With humility, 
we recognize the important place that we live. We have an accurate assessment of ourselves, and then we tailor our pack for this life for how to walk the journey ahead of us. Look at what Proverbs 11 verse 2 says. Here's how it protects us. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. An accurate assessment of my pack for my backpacking journey would have given me just a momentary glimpse to say, I can't actually carry this pack that long. And so wisdom would say, you need to actually go and spend some more money at REI, Dan. <clears throat> That's what the lesson is. Uh, no, you'd have to go get equipment tailored to the, to the task to actually find yourself the right things. Healthy people are humble. Humility understands how long the journey is and what I'm cut out to handle. Think about this this week. Uh, just yesterday here at Heartland, we uh, started our first group run for our uh, marathon training and for our half marathons. And so we had, I think it was 44 people gathered together to uh, run from this building out into the community and start training. They did this because they're humble and wise people. Uh, they have an accurate assessment of themselves. They know that they're way out of shape and they can't run 13.1 or 26.2 miles. And now seven weeks from the race, 17 weeks from the race, they've decided to do something about it. And with wisdom and humility, they've started to move their feet. A person who's, who says, well, I think I can just run 13 miles, no problem without an honest assessment of themselves, we would certainly call that person proud. But the person who says, I know myself, I'm strong, but I'm sloppy. So I'm gonna start now, I'm gonna put down the chips and the donuts and I'm gonna start moving my feet. I'm gonna do a little bit now. Then the trail 17 weeks from now will not disgrace them, but they will actually with wisdom cross the finish line. Now, I think that's the first lesson that we, we got to pay attention to our pride. We ought to be maximum alert against pride in our lives because pride will lead me into my own foolishness, but my humility can protect me from my dumb self. That's a quote. You put that on Twitter. Second reason. Pride blinds me to the truth. Pride blinds me to the truth. Pride distorts our perception. It's like a cataract on your eye that alters your internal vision. If you disregard the cataract, it will forever mess up your sight. I read this week that cataracts are the number one leading cause of physical blindness in the world. And I would recommend and suggest that similarly, untreated pride in our hearts is the number one blinder causing frustration and dysfunction in our lives. Um, did you know that in Proverbs 16, there's a list that Solomon gives of the seven deadly sins. There's movies made about this. This is kind of a famous part of the Bible. There's seven deadly sins. Did you know that the first deadly sin that is listed in Proverbs 16 is prideful eyes? Number one on the list, deadly sins, is pride. How you see yourself in this life has absolute power and detriment to how you go through this life. Untreated pride has terrible consequence because we become blinded to the truth and unreceptive to what is true. 
We no longer can see ourselves clearly nor who God is. And this is the greatest battle that Jesus came to wage. I don't know if you realize this. The war on spiritual blindness. There are two whole chapters in John's gospel, chapter 8 and chapter 9, by which uh, Jesus argues with the religious leaders. Their ancestral pride as Jewish people, as, as people who were chosen by God in the past, had blinded them from seeing Jesus as the Son of God chosen to save them from their sins. They uh, saw Jesus do many signs, one of which in John chapter 9 is literally healing the eyes of a man who was born blind. Jesus reversed his blindness as a way to show them that they were spiritually blind. And at the end of John chapter 9, they ask Jesus, they say, well, you open this guy's eyes and now he can see. What do you think about us? Are we spiritually blind too? Us who know all of God's promises, who have all of God's favor, us who have all of God's knowledge. And look at what Jesus says at the end of this two-chapter uh, situation. He says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now that you self-profess that your way of looking at the world is the right way, you actually are condemning yourself of the very thing that you're saying you don't struggle with. When we say Jesus is the master teacher, this is why. Because he trapped them in their pride. I hope that catches your attention. I hope that convinces you that you do not see this world as clearly as you think you do. One of the hardest things to do today is to publicly change your mind about how you've thought about a thing. But when each one of us realizes that we don't actually see the world perfectly, and I hope I'm making this case to you, but you don't actually see, I don't actually see the world perfectly. Do we agree on that? When you realize it, it actually allows us to be non-defensive when I'm confronted with my own deficiencies. What we learn on the flip side, if, if pride blinds me from what's true, then humility helps me see and accept it. Uh, this is uh, what we see here in Proverbs 15. This is uh, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding, can actually see what is true. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. I'm very excited about this series because in a couple of weeks we're going to actually look at a verse like this and talk about how to fight fair in relationships. How to fight fair in your relationships. I said that. How to fight fair in your relationships. How to receive hard things and how to engage when you disagree. Um, that is a message that I myself need, so I will not be sharing that message. I'm really excited for the person who is. I hope you'll tune in the next couple of weeks. But for us to be able to make it through that message is going to require a little bit of humility and recognizing that success on the trail of life requires that I receive honest feedback and correction in my life, that I can receive hard truths. When I was 18, I had a mentor who I thought was really cool because he was in his late 20s. And I thought it looked really good to everybody else that I as an 18-year-old, had a mentor who was in his late 20s. Almost twice my age, I had someone who was full of wisdom 
And it looked really good that I had a mentor at 18 who was in his late 20s. I was not necessarily interested in his mentorship. I was interested that people knew that I had a mentor who was in his 20s. How wise was I to have a mentor in his 20s? Do you get, the, you get what I'm pointing to? And I enjoyed this person until he tried to mentor me. And I remember it very clearly. He remembers this too. The day that he finally picked up on something in my life. I remember at 18, he looked at me and said, Dan, you're a really you know, delightful person to be around. You're very easy to hang out with and you get, you know, your friends enjoy you. But um, as a leader, I want you to know that I've noticed something in your life that could be a real problem for you going into the future. And if you don't get a hold of it now, I'm really worried that you'll never fully realize the potential that God's put inside of you. He said, you, you are a very prideful person. And I remember looking at him, listening to him say these things that assaulted my soul. And thinking back, and this is really, truly not, not proud about this, but re realistic. I want to give you the realistic play-by-play. -play. In my mind, I remember stopping listening to what he was saying and throwing up my defenses and thinking about this guy. I don't want to be like this guy when I grew up because he doesn't see clearly the confidence that God's put inside of me. This guy's a loser. Now, as I grew, and as I walked the trail of life with an overloaded backpack, time and time again, what he tried to warn me from were stones that I continued to stumble over. And if you know me in any sense of uh, knowing someone, I, uh, it's not hard to see the areas of pride in my own life. This is maybe the besetting sin of every single one of us. But he had challenged me, and I wasn't willing to listen because of my pride. And so God had to let the trail of life wear me down to the point where I finally realized that he was right. And I needed to make some changes. The proud person does not make a hard change in their life. The humble are those who receive a hard truth and then can act upon it. I learned this week uh, a, a fact about the Oregon Trail, the trail that runs right through Kansas City and goes out west. I, I realized that um, not only was I the only one who doesn't know how to pack a backpack, but um, on the Oregon Trail, this is really truly heavy. I'm not just a weak person. Um, maybe both of, both those things are true. Uh, I I realized that um, there were these wagons, right? Oh gosh, this is so impossible. How am I doing? You guys want to go backpacking with me now? No. Uh, I I found out that as as a lot of the first settlers went west, they overpacked their wagons. They, they put way more equipment in there than they needed. They didn't pack enough food and they packed too many heavy boxes full of grandma and grandpa's old stuff. Things that they had brought from the old country. They had put them on a ship and got them all the way over the Atlantic. They had gotten through New England and through customs and, and were so, so near and dear to their heart that they loaded 
these precious artifacts, fine china, uh, fine laces, linens, things that so held sentimental value. They, they put them in big boxes and then put those big boxes in, in prize places on their wagons. And then they tried to fill it in everything else around those things. And they got all the way to Kansas City. And as they started to move past Kansas City into uh, the Colorado Rockies and all these things, th they realized that their wagon was weighed down by stuff that wasn't helping them on the journey. And the proud pioneers persisted and their wagons failed. And actually, it's the ones who took stock of the situation, had been humbled by the trail, and could finally realize that while I care deeply about the sentimentality of this thing, it's going to be best for us if we leave it right here on the trail. Which is why along the trail, there have been countless treasures that have been found throughout the years. Things that held tremendous value, but were not serving the journey. And why is it in our lives that the things that we're the most proud of are often the things that we're most reticent to let go of? It's because the trail needs to humble us to realize the things that are actually important. Wise is the humble person who can leave their baggage on the side of the road so that they can keep moving forward. And I wonder for you, has there been someone in this life in the past couple of weeks or days who has tried to get your attention and tried to help you with a hard truth? How did you respond to it? Did you put up your internal defenses? Did you reject the discipline from them? Or did you receive the hard truth and assess it and, and learn from it? Well, if those two reasons weren't enough for you and I to maximally fight pride and try and pursue humility, I think this last reason might get us there. Here's what it is, is that pride, Solomon says, actually puts me in opposition to God. Why is it such a big deal that you and I identify and remove pride from our lives? It's such a big deal because there's one singular way in this life that you become at odds with God. And Solomon tells us it's pride. It's pride. Uh, look at, uh, again, Proverbs 3, verse 34. He says, God mocks proud mockers. Now, in one sense, there's um, a bit of a, a, a comfort in this. Uh, you could imagine a little kid on the playground being bullied by bigger kids when his biggest brother comes and shoes everybody away and comes to his aid. In some sense, there's a sense that God is actually um, helping us by uh, ridding us of the people who would mock us. That's a really generous reading of what Solomon's saying. Because what Solomon's saying is a little bit more damning than that. What Solomon's saying is that pride is something that God will return back upon you. Now, the, how does God mock proud mockers? How does God oppose the proud? I think there's this idea that we all have where God will oppose the proud through acts of violence or through natural disasters. I want you to hear, first and foremost, that is completely unrelated to God's wrath. God's wrath in the active sense is, is something to be concerned about but not something to attribute to a natural disaster. You see these things happen and then people get on the, the news or Christians start saying things like, well, you know, if they hadn't been such a wicked group of people, that's a terrible reading of what's going on. God's wrath is actually a lot 
more difficult to understand than just that. You see, God in his wrath towards us simply lets us get what we're trying to get. One of the worst things that God could do for you in this life is to let you accomplish everything your heart desires and come to the end of it and find that none of it is satisfied. One of the worst things that God could ever do in your life is to, to help you be successful only to find out that success wasn't the core issue of what you wanted in the first place. When God wants to mock a proud mocker, he simply lets them live out the choices that they've made. And he lets them, he just simply asks, well, how's that going for you? They drink the water that they don't realize is salt water. And they think they're getting satisfied only to come back to what satisfies them, only to come back to the infinite loop of dissatisfaction. Meanwhile, God knows I've got true living water for you if you would just come to the end of this junk and realize there's a better way. How does God mock proud mockers? He does it the same way the trail mocks a new backpacker. One step of that backpacker after the other. What's interesting to me is that God doesn't have to do anything to me. God just lets me walk out the consequences of my own foolishness. That, for me, is terrifying. So much of life, when it feels like God is against me, might actually be because I've postured myself against God by living as if I can carry everything in my life, my time, my resources, my money, my relationships, that I can manage everything that I don't need at all. Pride says I don't need. I don't need you. I don't need help. I've got this. And there's a better way. There's water that is not filled with salt. And it comes, again, through humility. If pride puts me in a position that is opposite of God, humility actually aligns me with God and his favor. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Not all the Proverbs uh, in this uh, series are going to be promises. Not every proverb in the Bible is a promise. Sometimes they're just general bits of wisdom. But this is an example of a, you can bank on this promise, that God shows favor to the humble and to the oppressed. There's a lot in this world that works against the humble. Very little in this world actually favors the humble. But God chooses to favor the humble. It's those who, who have humbly recognized that they're in need, they don't have it all. They've unpacked their life and they're actually asking God, could you carry this for me? When they do that, they find that God not only stops opposing them, but he partners with them to pick up their stuff and even better, those humble people find the favor of God is lived out because he doesn't just carry your stuff, he carries you. I wonder today, can you admit to yourself that I have needs? Our entire county is built upon this idea that we all have no needs. And yet, you know the truth. Are you humble enough to acknowledge it to yourself?
Better yet, can you acknowledge it to God? I wonder if you can see that the trail is long and your back isn't strong enough to look up to God and say, I need help. I wonder if you can look around at the cross of Jesus Christ who came to this earth, Jesus came not because we were all healthy, but because we were sick. He, he is the one who it was written of was born in a lowly manger. And as he traveled doing his work, he brought people to him to help him out. Did you know that every person in Jesus' cadre of disciples had a job to do that would help him accomplish his mission? He taught them that the poor in spirit would be lifted up. And, and even when Jesus went to his final moment on earth in this life, as Pilate had sent him to be crucified, his burden was so heavy that somebody else had to carry his cross for him up the hill. No, he was completely God, stronger than the strongest forces in this world. He did not play the God card to shortcut his route to glory, but he walked the path that was set before him humbly. Why? Why would Jesus do all of this humbly? Because I think Jesus knew that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the grace that he gives is life. That Jesus gave up his life but he came back to new life and that life is given to those who ask for help. And I think if you want to be proud of anything in this life, we've got one place that we can look to to be proud of. It's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is my only reason for bragging. Friends, think about that. Don't brag about who you know or what you've done. Brag about this. That the God of the universe looked upon what he had made and loved it so much and loved you so much that he didn't want you lugging junk all the way through your life, wasting your time, walking into frustration, beating yourself up, being worn down by the path. He wanted you to walk this life out with him. That you're so valuable that he gave everything to esteem you as worthy of his son. For me, that's the one place where all of my pride and my bragging and my accomplishments melt away, is at the cross of Jesus. Because the greatest thing that ever happened for me happened in spite of me. And as you leave here today, I want to give you a few questions to help you maybe pinpoint areas of pride that can be leveraged for opportunities for humility. I think sometimes I give uh, conversation starters. Uh, I don't want you to talk about these questions with anybody. I just want, I'm going to give you five questions today, right here, right now, and I want you to think through these on your own to see are there areas in my life where I'm living with pride? Am I lugging bags of rocks through my life that God wants me to put down? I'll, I'll give you these. I want you to take a screenshot of these, uh, put it on your phone, re review these every once in a while, and ask yourself, how am I doing? Am I a humble person? Um, you, there's a lot of questions we could ask. Uh, these are five that I think capture big categories. Here's the first question. Do you budget time, energy, and finances in a way that reflect self-importance or true humility? 
as I, as I do an audit on my time, as I do an audit on how, how I give my energy, who do I give my best energy to? As I, as I give my finances, who do I give my best money to? Is it all for me or do I have a humble, open-handed posture that says I'm actually walking this life out for God? Here's number two. Uh, can you easily celebrate other people's successes? Can you easily celebrate other people's successes? I've got a very short story I'll, I'll share it with you. Uh, this week, my eight-year-old baseball players uh, were playing a game and a kid from the other team hit a home run. Not one of those like inside the park, lots of error type things. He legit hit the ball over the fence. Nobody was expecting this. The kid wasn't expecting this. He hit the ball and he stopped on first base and his coach had to tell him, you get to keep running. They can't stop you. The ball's over the fence. When that happened, nine out of the 10 players from my team who were on the field went like this. But there was one boy who was um, the kid who the ball went over his head. One boy saw the ball fly over the fence and from, from left field, I, I watched him do this. Everyone else was looking down, kind of kicking the dirt and he went like this. <laughs> I, he didn't clap for him, I wish he would have. He didn't high five him, I wish he would have. All the coaches were going crazy for him. And, and yet I, I saw something in this kid's eye where his opponent did something incredible. And he, he, he stopped for a moment to wonder at it. You know, uh, the next game, which is a couple days later this week, the next game, I had that kid lead off. And he hit the first pitch of the game, I kid you not, just as far as that other kid did, but it was two feet foul. I don't even care. Because I, while this eight-year-old doesn't have the, the, maybe the emotional words to say this, watching his enemy succeed made it possible for him to imagine doing something that he thought was unimaginable. And humble people reach higher heights because they easily celebrate other people's success. When's the last time that you celebrated success? Uh, here's another three. Uh, when's the last time you admitted that, you, <clears throat> let me say this one slower. When was the last time you admitted that you were wrong? Said these words, huh, yeah, I see it now. I can see how me doing that was so wrong. And then better, will you forgive me? Or how can we make this right? Have you said this um, to your employees? Have you said this uh, to, the, to the, your kid's school teacher? None of us would ever apologize to our kid's school teachers, I know, because we're never wrong. But have you, ever, have you ever said that to them? Have you ever, dad, said that to your kids? When was the last time? A truly humble person has no fear of being wrong. They don't want to walk through life with the arrogance attached to them. Number four, uh, can you ask for help with things that you're really good at? Not the stuff that maybe you're clueless about. Not like making a backpack actually functional. But like the things where you've got degrees and you're the expert in the room. Are you willing to get input from people who maybe don't know as much as you do? Or... When life bears itself down on you and crushes you and you find yourself up against it financially or in a hospital bed or, or, or not sure how to help your kid take the next step because it's a, it's a situation you weren't prepared to deal with, are you able to ask other people to come alongside of you and help you take the next step on the trail? A truly humble traveler will disperse the weight of their pack when times get really tough. Are you able to do that? Number five, when you go to bed, 
you know, you're playing back your day or you're playing forward your next day, do you ever wonder what God thought about your day? Do you ever wonder about your day? Did God, I honor you? Was I humble today in how I acted? Did I say things about me that weren't bragging about you? God, were there areas of my life where I was overinflating my importance or underinflating my importance? God, what could I have done today to honor you and help me, God, honor you better? I've got uh, two prayers that I've prayed for, for the past 18 years. It's one prayer kind of melded together. I've shared this with you multiple times, but I encourage you, if you don't know where to start, start here. Start with me. Start with a prayer that I kind of utter. It's like breathing to me these days. I say, God, help me to be wise and help me to be humble. Help me be wise because I need to know what to do. And help me to be humble because I don't know what to do. God opposes the proud. But there is nothing like the grace of God for those who can look up and say, help. Harlan, we love you. We'll see you next week.